So I'm going to start with uh, with my question that I wanted to ask right away. I haven't seen T-Bone TV 5 in a really long time. Are you the guy who backslides with the foam hand? Is that you in that video? I don't think so. There's a Texas no. section, um, and it's to a Jamiroquai song, and it's the Chris Edwards um, birth tour. And Oh, uh, no. Okay, so no, it could not have been me at all because um, I lived in Spain at that time. Really? I could have sworn there was some Frank Stoner clips, unless I'm getting it confused with uh, your another older video appearance that I remember you in would have been Urban Decay. You would have been in that video too, right? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that I, was got, I got pigeonholed bad though, dude. Like, I, I, um, I can do misfits really easily. And so anytime I skate or film with anybody, they film me doing that, and that's like all that I ever get clips of. So if you're good at Misfits, that means you're good at Torxels and Soyels as well. Yeah. <laughs> I do remember your Misfits. I remember like uh, like Razors with white frames, maybe? Yeah. Back, back before cults existed? <laughs> yeah, Super Flats. Possibly. Yeah, man. Possibly. So... Um, let's go right into rockered setups. Okay. Um, you've skated rockered for the whole time, your entire skating life. Pretty much. Um, I was um, I, I played roller hockey when I was little, um, and I I, I always skated rockered um, on roller hockey skates. And I went, I, I like when when aggressive skating first came out. Like when I first saw that there was like companies and stuff. Um, I got anti rocker wheels then, and I think I skated probably two sets of. I guess I guess I had one set of um, of tarmacs that I was still running. No, those were those were those midgets, right? So that would have been like fifty four flat. And then I skated one set of Argons, Oxygens, uh, like the 1.1s, anti-rocker, with Eric Shrines on the outside and the Kryptonics Pebbles on the inside. Yeah, Eric Shrines were like 61, 62. I think they were giant, dude. I think they might have been like 67. Really? They were huge. And they had a f flat, awful profile. Uh, what was the Bootang? Was it like the Bootang one? That, no, know. that was... Was that guy real? I don't know. We'd have to get, like, a super... I think I'm I'm decent in my Blade Nerd knowledge, but I I don't know if Butang was a real guy. Wasn't it, like, a fictional uh, martial arts rollerblader? Something like it that? It might have been. I mean, that's 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 old that's old knowledge, man. <laughs> that's old knowledge. Um, so, this would have been a conversation to have in 96. I know. Let's keep it current. Well, I'll try. I'll try. So... You tried anti-rocker on two different setups, and it, what you just weren't having it. It didn't feel good. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't like it. You can't. I couldn't. I couldn't skate. I couldn't turn. I couldn't stop. You know. I oh, thought so, I was skating badly. So, do you use the hockey stop as like a regular part of your? Um, I I I used to. I'm I'm old and fat now, but I used to before. But you'll still uh, use like a like a sharp turn as a speed control thing, probably just intuitively. Oh, in a rocket oh, yeah. setup, yeah. Um, 
And what did you, when you rode your uh, roller hockey frames rockered, was it two different wheel sizes or were the, or were the actual frames rockered? The, if I, uh, this is old knowledge too, but I think, I think that the, uh, the, the frame that came on the Bauer skates back in the day, they had a one mil rocker built into the frame. And then there was an additional two mil rocker that went on the, uh, in the bin, the spacers. Yeah. So you could rocker the middle two down and the outside two up. So oh. you could get a net gain of three, I guess, which is about a, about a 1.5 mil rocker total. Oh, and, uh, yeah, spacers. What aggressive frames now are, or sorry, freestyle, what, what do you call it, by the way? Do you just call it rollerblading? Like Rollerblading. Rollerblading is the name. Rollerblading. So yep. aggra- ag- the term aggressive skating, um, like if you had to compare a ground control frame to like a fitness frame, would, would you call it, a, what would you call that, a grinding frame? Like if you had to specifically say. Huh. Um, because there's not many rockering options on grinding frames currently there's like the slim line i think yeah i have i have a set of those right now in my garage um and i would like to try them out but because the split is so big on those um it's it's really wonky when you have such a humongous split and you try to ride rockered because the wheelbase you know because you have basically three three separate wheelbases you have the back two the middle two and the front two yeah, and when you skate on the on the on the back too, it lifts the front really high up because the angle is steeper. So I, I haven't tried them yet. I was skating these other Kaisers, the, you know the metal ones that had the plastic on the outsides. Um, element frames, yeah. Elements, yeah, okay, yeah. So I had a pair of those for a little while. Um, I actually have been skating those for I don't know six or nine months, and I just went back to ground control. Um, like two weeks ago. What the um. Formula One or what? what yeah, Formula called? One, Formula One ground controls, and <clears throat> the way because I I, I I skated razors forever, and then I skated K twos, and those both had back in the day when everybody had six mil bolts. Um, those those both had um, spacers. Yeah, the uh, the stock frame on the on the K twos. I don't know about rollerblade. They still have the the rockering options. Tons of options. So if you were to rocker. Um, how do you do it? Do you go in right now? I run I run fifty six in the middle and fifty four on the outside. Ooh, that's nice. Have you ever gone higher than that? Like uh, for uh, a while, for, I was doing um fifty eight, fifty four for then, bowl skating. Yeah, and that was that was pretty nice. I think that's what the Seba frames are that that I'm skating and that what Leon's skating. I think it's 80 millimeter wheels but with a 4 millimeter Oh, difference? Rocker. Yeah, yeah. It's, and they f- it's it's kind of a shame to me that 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 whole that whole side of skating is is kind of gone. The big wheel? Well, big wheels but also just being oh. able to adjust your setup. Yeah. <laughs> because it's it's almost anti anti rocker in a way. I'm I'm I've looked I I was talking to John Elliott about this a while ago and I think that a lot of frames are actually have a built-in about a half a mil rocker in the frame so if you get a brand new pair of frames and you set them um like on a f- perfectly flat like marble countertop it, the middle two wheels should be up just just a hair 
That's a good thing. And I've heard of uh, some manufacturer defects in the opposite department where, where the outside wheels have touched before. Certain runs of Kaiser frames got oh, some really? warp things going on where it was like uh, you were actually making uh, your... You were skating flat, but it felt like anti that sticky feeling for the first while. Um, yeah, yeah, that's miserable. That's miserable. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think uh, the rockering thing's coming back. Uh, if that, if they meet the Kickstarter goal for that suspension frame that Create Originals is working on. Yeah, um, I, I saw those at Bittercold, and uh, I've known Hakeem for a really long time, and I got to talk to him at the bar. And uh, I'm I'm really excited about those, and I really hope that those guys can can make that happen. I think it will. It was uh, it really had a lot of momentum, and now it's kind of plateauing. But there's 30 something days, and it's at 18 grand, so I'm sure they'll make it. No one's bid on the uh, the $1,500. You know, invest- I looked at that. I looked at that, dude. And you know, I my my wife and I have just bought some expensive stuff, and I I would I would do that in a second, but. I don't have the fifteen hundred dollars. If I did, I would love to give it to him. Just, just. To, I mean, I'd give him. I'd give Hakeem a thousand dollars anyway if I had an extra thousand dollars lying around. But, you know. Um, what do you do for for work? Like, uh, do you have traditional nine to five routine? I'm a I'm a professor of English. Holy geez, so I'm way out of my element here. Yeah, I teach I teach college, um, and. I teach um, at the, at the at this at the moment this semester I only have one class, which is good and bad, um, but it's 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 a it's an academic schedule. So I have like last semester I had um, I had stuff from eight to eleven and then nothing till one and then one to three and then five to seven. And then is there a lot of extracurricular um, marking reading? Oh God, dude! I've got a, the reason I'm drink. I'd love to be drinking beer with you guys right now, but um, I got a great papers after this. Oh, well then uh, we'll do, I guess two hours. I'll, we'll take a break at like the uh, forty-five, fifty-minute mark because my voice goes all robotic, and then we'll do another little bit. But or whatever you want, actually, if you want to do. No, less, no, that's or... fine. I've got I've got plenty of time. I'm drinking okay. Red Bull, so I'll be up for hours now. Oh, what what's your routine for like? Um, do you have a ritual for grading papers? Do you have a specific way of doing it? Um, yeah, usually I, um, I guess I guess everybody out there should know this. That teachers have teachers have like um, like litmus students, I guess you could say, where you have you have a couple of students who you expect to either do badly or to have not really given a shit when they wrote the paper. And so I usually will read a couple of those, and then I'll read the papers from a couple of my students that I have high expectations for, just to kind of get a sense for what I'm getting into. Yeah. Ideally, to kind of get the range, um, and then and then um, I try when I'm being ambitious to put it in alphabetical order and go through that way, um, but that only happens about half the time, <laughs> and I I just go through the stack in the order that I've got them piled up. And uh, how many papers are we looking at on average? At the moment, I've only got one class, so it's only twenty. But uh, that—that's still quite a few uh, words per paper, isn't it? Yeah, most of their papers are about four pages long, and we write four per semester. And then um, we do we do homework every time, and I try to do um, either a reading assignment or a writing assignment or a small uh, reading and writing assignment. 
Um, and what what topic, if you don't mind, what what are we uh, reading tonight for the the grading papers? What do we got? As a oh, um, I'm tonight. I'm grading their second drafts of a definition paper, um, which deals with rhetorical definition, which is um, it was invented by Aristotle. And it assumes that when you define a word with another word, that you're assuming that that other word stands for a category. And you make, you, you, you use, what's, what's a good example? Oh, God. I, I could go get these papers. We could talk about it. I'm sure, I'm Roll, sure we shouldn't, though. <laughs> rollerblading example. Uh, okay. So if you said, if you said uh, Joey is a rollerblader, right? Mm -hmm. You take rollerblader to not be a word, but you take that to be the name of a category. And you take that category to be constitu uh, to to be um, constituted by both known examples of rollerbladers and uh, what the what the primary characteristics of rollerblading are, say. So well, what you're what you're doing is is you're making associations because in in rhetoric the the goal is to try to it always sounds bad when you say it out loud I guess but what you're really trying to do is control the way people think. Well, I'm scared now that that I'm talking to you on this podcast because because uh, I've met I've met at my match for speaking. I'm not very good at speaking to begin with. Actually, what what is your thoughts on um on our speaking in the podcast? Are we art are we articulate enough? I think you guys do a pretty good job. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Thank you. Um, do you? Think that I mean I'm just going to also jump. you also have Canadian accents and and I think that y'all speak y'all speak a lot more clearly than a lot of Americans do. Really, your accent to me is a lot more um, RP sounding. Do you know what RP means? A received pronunciation. No, it's like London. It's like the the sort of proper British dialect. Really, and uh, they they tend to they tend to um, maintain the consonants in in um, at the ends of words. And in American English, we tend to let those slide. Why is that? Where did that come from? Oh man, uh, it's it's probably just because there's there's more languages uh, amalgamating in the United States. Your your voice is very uh, confident, so it doesn't sound traditionally American at all. That's probably from speaking all the time, teaching. Did you have to do lots well, of uh, public speaking through? No, actually, I feel like I'm a really lousy public speaker. Really, I'm not scared. Of, I'm not. I'm not scared of it though. Um, a lot of people. A lot of people rank it as one of their highest fears. Public and, speaking. Uh, yeah. Do you do that thing like uh, if there's a new class? Do you make? Because <laughs> I hate. I hate this shit. But when uh, the teacher makes everyone talk a little bit about themselves. <laughs> um. No, what I do because um, in in my class I have them in the in the fall in the fall I have them write a fictional account of what they did over the summer. Oh, that's good. And it, it winds up being pretty useful because um, people tend to say fair, fairly zany things, and it makes it easier to remember who they were. That is good because uh, names is another tough one. Having to remember names. Do you remember everyone's name? Um. Yeah, for the most part, there's a couple of kids who like never say anything, and and I I kind of they, they there there'll be like maybe three or four people who never say anything in class, and 
when, if they if they never say anything, then I rarely can tell. Like if there's f three or five of them, I don't know which of the five that person might be. But sometimes but, can th those be those people be good uh, at writing because they live in their head all the time. Yeah, sometimes. Um, and then what age range are we looking at? Is it just like every age? Um, just kids. Yeah, they're. I mean, they're. You, Generally college age, so you know between between eighteen and twenty five, I guess. Um, it, so the thing that I was going to ask, kind of related to this, is is uh, do you think rollerblading uh, lacks kind of like a? I wouldn't want to use the word because I don't intellectual is a bad word, but um, do you think rollerblading is kind of stuck in one age? Uh, kind of like a a mid twenties way of thinking. A little bit, I think that we are a little bit, but um, I know that I know that it, it, it seems to me it seems to me that, that rollerblading is kind of rebounding from where it was maybe seven or so years ago. And partly, what seems to be happening is that we're getting a big resurgence of of guys coming back to skating. Which is a really good thing. I think it's good. There's a lot of institutional memory, um, and there's there's a lot that I could say about that. But um, um, well, well, your personal story then. Did you take a break from skating? Because we've talked to a lot of people who who did take a longer break from skating and then came back. Yeah, I did. I did. Um, I I probably I probably stopped being really part of the scene in about 2003 or so and, and then I, I was still skating I was still skating until when? until about 2005 you know maybe once a month or twice a month or something like that Yeah. and then after 2005 I'd probably skate a couple of times a year until um, I guess about 2009 or 10 and I, I got back in touch with my friend Pat Cantola, who's now living in Denver, um, where I used to live. And we used to go skate, and we got back in touch. He's a guy from Kansas. He came up with, um, like, Jeremy Morris and Alex Brasco and uh, AJ and, oh, fuck, all those other guys from Kansas back in the day. Yeah. Todd Bluebaugh, all those guys. I met Todd uh, on, a, on that K2 shoot and he he was an awesome dude and pat Cantola, i remember some of his skating um pat is pat's one of the fucking best skaters ever did he go really fast he would haul thing? ass and he could do he had he, he was one of those guys who who honestly had no unnatural anything he could spin both ways he could flat spin both ways he could skate fakie both ways just fucking a robot dude and i'm thinking like Roses or or something, Kutai. Yeah, yeah. No, he wore uh, um, like the all black Fifth Elements. Okay, yeah, it's all coming back now. So is, he's still skating too. He, I, I don't know if he's, I don't know if he is or not. I haven't talked to him in a little bit, but um, we, he and I were going. There was a, there was a Vans skate park in in uh, in Denver, and he and I would skate that, and then it changed to it changed to a Woodward, and then I think eventually it shut. Um, but he and I, he and I were skating there, um, maybe once a week, maybe once once every other week or so. Yeah. He hadn't lost anything, man. He could still like go up over the big ass vert wall thing and topsole it both ways and everything. 
what is that muscle memory or just doing something for so long at it there's a uh, tim ward i remember posted an edit and just people still have it they they might look like a touch rusty but yeah. they still have it blake dennis was another one in that older blading edit where he just looked like he hadn't yeah. stopped at all i think i think any any of those of us who have like taken desk jobs and have gotten a little bit fatter like you you know your muscles your muscles get weaker and you and you you know haul you got weaker muscles hauling you know more weight around <laughs> and so for for those of us who that who who've become victims of that I should say uh or victims of cheeseburgers or beer or whatever it is or office jobs um it's it's a lot harder to to get back to where we were but Pat Pat is he looks exactly the same now as he did when he was 19 and so I think for him, skating is just is just as easy as it's ever been. Wow, that's a good thing. Um, do you remember what what it was that kind of like how you maybe faded out of skating? Not out of skating, but how you were skating less. Was it there wasn't a lot to connect to at that point, or it was just general life stuff, growing up and and uh, pursuing other things? What was that climate like at that time? Because I, I just my own personal interest in skating kind of waned around that time. So did yeah? Did you did you have a break around the same time? Um no, well, not or so much a break. Been... Just a doubt, more like a, more like realizing I treated it like some kind of religion or something, and then having a lot of doubt around that, taking it so seriously, and then kind of going through dips of enjoyment. Okay. like big dips of enjoyment that there may have been a an entire year where um having a good session was rare even though I was trying to go out as much as possible so there was some personal growth that was lacking so I don't know what for you what was that that about like maybe not skating as much well a lot of a lot of a lot of our crew in Austin kind of faded away like um Jason Howard moved to I think Houston and Lonnie had moved to California. And Jan had moved to California. Um, this guy Jared McBay, who's been around forever, who's a badass. Um, I don't know what he was doing, but he kind of faded off. And um, right, right, kind of at the tail end of college, uh, this is my other buddy Levi Plies. Um, he graduated and moved off to uh, what's it called, Las Vegas. And so the scene, this there was there was younger guys coming up. Jay Garrick and and a lot of those guys were still skating and holding down. Shannon Rogers was here. Um, B Free was coming up around then, and I was in college. And those guys were like, well, some of those guys were much younger than me, and you know, I just I was just sort of doing college stuff and drinking beer and all that good stuff. Yeah, that's an important part. It really just kind of faded away. It wasn't like I it wasn't like I had some catastrophic moment where I, you know, threw my skates into the, you know, crash can and stomped off and said never again. In the movie version of your life, that probably would happen though. In the movie version, yeah. <laughs> that would probably have to happen. So then uh it was a was it something that clicked when you came back to it more or was it just kind of slowly you became more interested again? Or people? Was it other people coming back to it? Well, when I was when I was living in I was living in Colorado for a long time, and um, 
I was skiing a lot, and I would skate sometimes either by myself or, or um, actually mostly by, by myself for a long time. And then I moved to Denver, and I got back in touch with Pat. And uh, I shouldn't call him Pat. Like he's okay with me calling him Pat, but he hates it. And so every he wants everybody else to call him Patrick. <laughs> I should be saying Patrick since this is uh, out there in the ether now. Patrick. Anyway, yeah. So so Patrick. Uh, he and I, he and I started skating again. It was mostly just because we didn't, we didn't really know each other in any other capacity. You okay. know. Yeah, yeah. And and it was like, well, we could sit here and drink beer, or we could go skate, and we'd sit there and talk about skating for the most part, anyway. Yeah, that's why uh, I say uh, Todd and I used to do podcasts before we knew what a podcast was. So uh-huh. It was just kind of a natural progression, sitting around and bullshitting about skating. Um, while you were out skating or on the way to a spot was sometimes one of the highlights of the day. Like, the skating was good, but it was also the, the bullshitting about skating. Yeah, the debriefing. <laughs> I, I, love, I love debriefing. I, it's fantastic. We have a really, really, good, uh, a really good crew skating these Monday morning skates, um, and we usually go to the coffee shop after that, and you just shoot the shit and... You know, you get to you get to recall, and everybody gets to you know remember what tricks they did, and get reminded of what everybody else did. And I think it's a big, it's a big part of the culture, and it's it's easy to take that for granted. I think that sitting around talking about skating is, I think that we do that about as much as we actually skate. It's true, and uh, and it's not something that we can do outside of that. Our skating friends and and. Uh... I can't I can't have a deep skating conversation with my girlfriend. Like I can maybe talk a little bit before I catch myself or like a coworker or something. I I can only yeah. try and figure out how I can use language that they might be able to relate to something for a short amount of time. Yeah. And I and yeah. I can't go any deeper. But then yeah. uh the debriefing. That's uh that is a really important part. We we do lots of like pre-skate talks and uh the debriefing is only half of the time but i gotta do more debriefings debriefings they're a coffee shop hey so you drink coffee before and after skating yeah i mean depending on what 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 everybody's got like going on later in the day some people drink beer and it's 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 um i mean you just you just got done talking to cody about this like two weeks ago it's it's a good crew man we got a lot of we got a lot of good people going out there and uh, and, it's fun. and people, you know, people drink beer. You know, Tim, Tim, Tim Logan, and and Micah, um, they drink beer almost every time. <laughs> I'm, I'm still, it's still morning to me, so I, I'm still, you know, trying to drink coffee at that point. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'll do like I enjoy doing a beer uh, partway through a session, if if I'm all warmed up and everything, I'll I'll quickly have uh, one strong beer. Sometimes two, but um, any more than that then it's kind of like skates off but i do enjoy the uh the middle of the session beer just to mm. loosen some things up yeah yeah i just i just built this this grind box and um it's a really nice grind box and we've been taking it on sundays now for the last four or five weeks uh on sundays to the tennis court that's about a mile from my house and uh it there's a lot of beer going on there and it's 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 fun to have a couple of beers while you skate Oh, it's so fun. It's fun to get just wasted in skate, too. That's fun, but it doesn't happen that much. There's a point, um, like, at the kind of four or five beer mark where 
you can hit a lot of tricks, but then you just take that one fall. Yeah. That's oh, yeah. really bad. Mm -hmm. Remember, I could never alley-oop topsail, and I still can't, but I remember after four beers, I was able to do it. Yeah, and man. Then, and then I took a really bad fall. Um, that's so fucked. that's the fear. I yeah. guess that's, that's the liquid courage happening. Absolutely. <laughs> There's a lot of... Uh, a lot of people from Texas that do awesome things with skating. So, like you said, um, Lonnie. Yeah, and, Lonnie. Uh, Jan is from. Is it Sion, right? Yeah, Jan. Jan. Jan um, he did a lot of big things. Jason Howard did yeah. a lot of amazing stuff with skating. And then, like I said in the other podcast, there was Sean Robertson, Chris Fleener, and then, uh, of course, Arlo's from Texas. But that doesn't even. I don't know. That doesn't count as much of anything anymore, I guess. Arlo's Arlo's badass, man. Um, I wish it just selfishly I always want to hear his own words on on the situation because it's still like do you still feel like it's his format that skating is built on? Um a little bit. I know I know that you've talked to you've talked to Jake Barnes a couple of times, I think, and he's yeah. got a lot to say about that. Um I think I was I was I was actually talking to Cody earlier and and we were talking about um we were talking about oh actually you guys are part of this we were talking about the uh that 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 uh Dustin Latimer edit Oh yeah the what was it called Uh I just took all of his uh footage from Quality Quality yeah 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 so we were watching that and we were talking about um Cody, Cody was saying that he's a... Oh, what was he saying? It's going to drive me crazy. I'll have to come back to it because it just left my brain. Okay. Um, but we were talking about what, what tricks are canonical and what tricks are non-canonical. And, and he... Huh? So, define, define. Canonical? Canonical? Yeah, a part of the canon. So, uh, like in, in literature, there's all kinds of novels. Uh, but only certain novels are kind of um, treated with, with special privilege. Oh, okay, as, yeah. As being, Great more central <laughs> yeah yeah perfect so sort of like sort of like the uh you ever read animal farm by george orwell no frank i have to admit um it it could be i was never diagnosed as, as uh add or anything but i any book report ever from the beginning of even elementary school i somehow dodged bullets and um I've I I've read books in my time but I never read any of the books through okay. elementary. I was a really good student, honor roll. Um I w would end up getting good grades, but um that's my long answer. No. And Animal Farm actually wasn't one of the books on our okay. list. It was um uh All Quiet on the Western Front, The Chrysalids, probably The Outsiders would have been in there. Anyways, Animal Farm. Go ahead. Oh, well, just that um <laughs> That that the the pigs it was it was a it was a you know a, a sort of a parable or allegory about communism and how some group always manages to take charge and take control and make things non-equal and what the pigs did was they established themselves as being more equal than the others they were more equal than the horses and more equal than the chickens and the than the horses and everything else and uh, anyway the 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 canon is is always just a body of things that are more equal or, or more central to what we take to be the the kind of middle point. 
That definitely relates to rollerblading. So, did you guys name some of the tricks in this in this edit that would have been? Because he did do some, whether they were movements or specific tricks. Oh yeah. Well, what I was what I was saying is that you know Dustin. Oh, and this is the other thing. Cody Cody was saying that he's a grandmaster, which uh, which is I think a, a nice a nice phrase. Um, <laughs> but what's what's so great about about Dustin skating is that. He really did a lot of the pretty normal canonical tricks, um, but just on giant shit that nobody else would do. <laughs> you know, so it's a yeah. topsoil, but it's on a topsoil that you wouldn't fucking do, and you know, none of your friends would fucking do. Yeah. Uh, but also, he's doing all kinds of weird, crazy shit. You know. Yeah. So to 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 get to get back to your question though, um, Cody Cody was saying, Cody was saying. Um, that he thought that toe rolls and heel rolls were canonical, and that's it's an interesting it's an interesting uh, it's an interesting point because what your what your question was was about Arlo and are we still sort of living in Arlo's uh, system? And I think that we are in the sense that jumping and grinding are canonical. Yeah, and things outside of that are you know closer to the fringe. So heel rolls and stuff like that are are less canonical. Um, so we're kind of on our way out of his. I, I he, think that his his influence has gone from absolute to about half. Yeah, definitely. You can still see uh, in terms of the the uh, the biggest names in in what could be considered industry quote unquote. Uh Broskow's still pretty safe. You know, like everyone and he'll throw in some toe or heel rolls, but um like you would have never seen Arlo and I think there was an article about this a long time ago that about how Arlo didn't like Mizu's. Huh. Um and that that's <laughs> it's a constantly uh Debated trick, like do you do Mizu's? Yeah, I don't mind a Mizu. Um, and then it was on the Kevin Yee podcast that it was broken down as uh, there's the innie and outie tricks. I thought was really interesting. Oh in yeah, yeah. Rollerblading. There's some, some is, really neat stuff about that. I thought about I thought about doing the research for it and writing a second place post about it. Um, when when most people when most people um, sit down and they just sort of put their feet in a comfortable position number one this is hilarious fun if you're ever bored at an airport uh, look at people's feet and see how many like skating positions you can you can find <laughs> that's amazing people will sit in a comfortable stance with their feet like an alley top porn position Whoa. and other people sit there like doing a uh, doing a nougan and other people will sit there like doing like a Christ Machio or a Christ Fish or something like that <laughs> where one foot's on the other on top of the other foot but anyway what what biologically what makes you do that is actually the um, it's the angle that your femurs come out of your pelvis oh, and it okay. causes your legs to pronate or not yeah and and that basically specifies the angle that your feet point out or into each other and most people's feet actually pronate out so that a Mizu is a more comfortable stance uh, than, say, a soul grind, which is basically pigeon-toeing yourself. Well, because a Mizu is a famous uh, beginner trick that you can step 
on with the foot yeah. and then drag the other leg behind. It doesn't take a lot of commitment. It's more of like a, you can actual, it's like a, the training wheels of grinding yeah. for stepping on. Right. So then, um, but there's well, something like, can I jump in with something real fast? Yeah, for sure. So something that I think is really interesting and the, re the direction that I wanted to take a, a post about that would be the way that from about John Elliott forward, people have changed the way that they do Farfnugans. And they, and they, and they do it, a lot of people do it much more like a sweat stance than a Alip Sol. And the skates have actually changed significantly to accommodate that. So that a, a, um, a, a, a front Nugent is no longer the same trick as an alley-oop royale. Wow. I've never really thought about it that way. I... Holy shit. So, you're like right. You're talking day, about... When everybody had lightnings, you know, the, the, the royale groove, your, your royale foot would be pointed way in, right? Like almost at a 45-degree angle. Yeah, and then when when all the other skates came out, like um, oh, you know, fatties and razors and uh, majestic twelves and everything else. Um, what else was there back then? Oh, I don't know. But you know, oxygens, all the stuff from ninety five, ninety six. It still mimicked that same stance, and that's right when the Nugent came out. And to lock into your boot, you really had to do basically a fire for Nugent leading with your heel because of where the Royale groove was. But skates have been systematically changing since about John Elliott, you know, the Elliott uh, Razor's backslide plate. He changed it from the old one to that sort of side one that's more perpendicular. Yeah. And then you have people like, um, you know, Eric Bailey and other people who can do fish brains or, or at front torques, and it looks more like a fish brain than an Elliott Macchio. And it's because the groove has moved. Yeah, and uh, do you have a preference for, um, like, uh, of any of the more recent skates that you skated? Because we talked with uh, Jason Marshall about this, uh -huh. that uh, you actually have to change some of the tricks that you may have done when you were younger because oh, yeah. of the uh, the groove and, and the, the backslide plate placement yeah. and how much plastic is on the outside of the boot and how hard the plastic is. So what's yeah. your preference right now and what are you skating? Just even based um, I, on that idea. Well, I was skating in shadows for a while, and I really liked the skates, um, how they performed. Um, it was really a huge pain in my ass because I don't wear the shoes, so it would take me twice as long to put them on. <laughs> um, and that was kind of irritating. But I didn't like doing um, frame tricks because... The, where the royale groove is in a shadow, it, it wants you to do it wants you to do a royale with your feet perpendicular, and I, I like it to be more like the old school, you know, where the royale foot's angled in. And I don't think there's many boots right now that has a plate that allows that. No, and the other thing is, I just I just switched from um, from the shadows to Valo um, skates about a month or two ago. Yeah. And I just, I just tonight uh, went to Home Depot and bought a file so that I can actually groove out the Royale groove way back, further back, um, so that I can have it where I want it. The other thing, oh, the go other ahead. thing that, I've, that I've been doing historically is uh, I've been like modifying every skate to receive a Razor's backslide plate. Because <laughs> before, before, before I got dropped from Razor's way back in the day, I actually got... Um, 
I guess it was Mac McMeans to send me a box of those because everybody had switched to the uh, to the uh, what do you call them the John Elliott plates. Yeah. Do you, know, do you remember those? Yeah, I got I got those. Uh, his first Razor's Pro model was it had a centered plate, yeah. and then the old Super Flat had the the angled, right closer closer back. Right. So I got a box of those fucking things, and I was modifying every skate to receive that, and I was doing it in K twos, and I've done it on Rollerblade, the old you know the old TRS ones with the skins. Yeah. Or I guess the first TRS that had a skin, I should say. Um. And those both those both worked really well, and and I, I love that backslide plate. Richie uh, Richie Eisler would do that to his Solomons too. He would add that plate specifically. Really. For that reason, yeah. And um, from what I remember, when I skated the Ollie Short, like the UFS M12s, they're one of the only skates. How Volo is going to be actually re-releasing that skate uh-huh. under their name? There, that backslide plate has the angle that's mm. closer to the heel. Yeah, that's dope. that's awesome. It, it takes a little bit to get broken in. Like it, it, it feels really shallow at first. But I don't know if that's what the razors one was like. Cause my my only pair of uh, razors, it was it was the Elliots, and then um, from there it was Rems, which had the centered back backslide plate. I always wondered what Rems would skate like with uh, the other backslide plate. I haven't tried that. I've before. got I've got a pair in my garage right now with those on there. Really? Yeah. How long does it take to mod them like that? Not long. Uh, they they actually fit the the ones that I have are pretty old rims, but uh, they fit in the in the space in the sole frame um, almost perfectly. Really, you just need to put a, like a piece of plastic on the footbed so that you have something to attach it to. Oh sweet! But it's in there. The only problem with the with the rims is that it's it's the 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 space in the sole frame is actually a little bit forward of where you'd want it, so you don't actually accomplish much by putting that thing in there. Oh yeah, yeah. The whole plate itself is further over. You know what I mean? Yeah. That. <clears throat> that's such a bizarre thing. Like, um, you don't really see Royales or, like you said, Farvenugans that look, especially backslides that have the foot turned in. I can't even think of one off the top of my head. Like, um, who has a Royale or backslide or Farv that actually looks like? how it would have been in the old skates. Oh god. Um I'm trying to think uh, like I don't I don't know a lot of the new people. Um maybe Joey Chase. Oh. Cuz he skates he skates in um Nims or or whatever. Is that groove further back by a little well, bit? There isn't a groove. No, like, there is. I think there is it now. It comes flat and wherever wherever you do it is I don't know what the what the SSM deal is at all, but yeah. Um, the old <laughs> ones, the old ones didn't have one, and you were meant to just go grind it on a curb until you got the group where you wanted it. I thought that was so funny that Cody spilled the beans on. <laughs> yeah. <the man. laughs> I didn't know well, if he was supposed to, but you know, I don't, I don't actually mind that. But I think it's in a way better than than putting a putting a pre groove in there because, you know, I, I think I think there's there's too much there's too much um, there's too much control. Happening at the at the sort of um, pre-market stages, so that what what a couple of people design is, is dictates what happens in rollerblading, and that's really pretty bothersome to me. The uh, company's kind of dictating the way skating goes. Is that was that the kind of the... well? Yeah, I don't I don't think it's it's necessarily um, 
all that all that you know conspiratorial in any way because it was like that with with lightnings the way that people skated in the beginning was just how the skates were manufactured so it's about humans just adapting to whatever's in in a way but it, it the, the fact the fact that we're making aftermarket parts now and people have you know control to decide what those parts will be shaped like um you know that that does have a, a major influence so then but I also I also think that the market is responding to what people actually want um and and the fact that most people don't do a Farfanug in the same way they do a Royale, um, you know, it, it's it's nice conceptually to have tricks all be forward and backward, um, the same where you have you know, sole and alleyup sole and one's you know forward facing and the other one's rear facing, um, but uh, a a Farfanugan for for you know maybe seventy or eighty or ninety percent of people isn't an alleyup Royale. So, so I don't know uh, whether it's whether it's dictated in a bad way. I don't know, but it's definitely being dictated. I'll tell you that. Well, uh, and then what percentage uh, of rollerblading? This is just this can be just a a percentage thrown out off the top of your head. But grinding wise, how much of rollerblading is grinding these days? Hmm. Um. Well, well, Jake Jake Barnes and I used to talk about the um, the obligatory 540 back in the day, where you would have a section, and then you know, okay, well, all right, go fucking 540 something, and a guy'd go 540 something, and you know, maybe there'd be a wall ride or something in there. But you you have predictably the obligatory 540, and back then, in say the sort of 2003 and prior era, um, it's got to be something like 90-10, and now I think it's 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 come way down from that, so it's probably. I would go as low as sixty forty, but it totally depends on the skater. The obligatory five forty has become the uh, fakey five forty. I think. Lately. Fakey five forties are badass, man. They're hard to. Uh, I have them once in a while. I almost have to like do a double foot med spin into them to rotate them properly without my arms. You know when the arms swing. Yeah, like the over rotate thing. Yeah, yeah. I always do that, but um, I think I think if 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 people with people out there with influence who could get who could get the obligatory you know jump trick to be a switch fakie five forty, I think we'd be in business. Switch fakie five forty. Have you ever hit one of those? <laughs> not not in a long time. <laughs> not in a very long time. Not in over a decade. <laughs> so your current skates. You, did you already say um, you went from Jados to what are you on currently? Uh, Valo skates. The black Valo, one. that's right. And you're gonna you're gonna change the. Uh... Gonna, yeah, well, I started doing it when I first got them, uh, and I've been skating a couple times a week for the last month or two, and it's just it's just not quite how I want a Royale and Farfnugan. Yeah, that's so, understandable. As soon as I get those things grooved out, I'm hoping that it'll be a, a whole new day, but. <laughs> Until that happens, uh, I'll just continue to be unhappy. Actually, I wanted to say something about that, which was uh, in the in the podcast that you had with um, with Cody. You said you asked him if he'd ever had a skate crisis. Oh and, yeah. Oh man, the tears were just streaming down my face, dude. Because I've I'm 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 in the middle of a fucking 13 year skate crisis right now. <laughs> I, I'm just finishing up um, a medium 
uh, another like like a minor skate crisis right now. But so what's thirteen years? What where did you think your home was? You must have had a home somewhere at least, like a like a go to return to skate. Well, I rode I rode for Razors um, really early, and the first the first skate I got from Razors was the Impact Two Hundred, and I skated for Razors from the Impact Two Hundred to I think the Shima Two. And so those those sort of classic cult boot skates were, you know. Those those were my those were my skates, man. I've done like just about everything I've done in those. And then after after Razors, I went to um, to K two, um, and I and I skated two fifties for a long time, and those were really really nice, and it was a pretty nice transition. But I also was was uh, you know Franken skating the. Uh, the Razor's backslide plate onto the 250ccs, um, so there really wasn't much change. But after that, um, I've just been on every fucking piece of shit skate. It's been terrible. <laughs> and uh, with the with the misfits, if you said people always wanted you to do misfit, yeah. K2 weren't really a misfit friendly skate, were they? They were with that fucking backslide plate. <laughs> oh, that's right. If the backslide plate went on. The other thing I used to do, uh, a friend of mine. Do you know who Mike Falcone is? I've heard the name. He's uh, Woodward. I think. Yeah, he was he's, cr- he was he was he was one of the one of the guys running the inline stuff at Woodward back when Woodward had an inline program, and uh, uh, he's from Baltimore originally, and he had this little Dremel kit and a, and a rivet set, and uh, whenever I went to Woodward, I would always. Like in the in the old um, like creams and all those old uh, razors, they had like a million little speed dimples, what they called speed dimples or whatever the hell they were. Yeah. Um, and I would put a rivet in every single one of those, on the sole, and I would put like a little rainbow of rivets in the backslide plate, so it'd be all metal. Oh, it was wonderful, because it's because I only, I only back in the day I only skated rails and skate park. Like concrete ledges and oh no way I hate that stuff. No, you don't even touch those now. I do now, but I kind of hate it. It has to be a, a good ledge for it to be really enjoyable. Yeah, yeah. where you know with um years and years of skates worn off. But what was so badass about the the K twos was that you could uh you could dremel off those little side bits on the old frames and have all your bolts touching, and then you could put rivets in the sole. And then with the Razor's backslide plate, you could still put that rainbow of rivets and have all metal everything. And it was really nice. Plus, it made such a better sound. It made that really violent, you know, metal-on-metal metal sound that sounds so satisfying. Oh, I like that. In uh, in the Seba adapted to aggressive skates that I've been skating, the, the, like, the little grind plate thing is just meant to protect part of the frame, but on the toe and heel area... It's uh, it's that metal sound, and even just to like look at grinded out metal on a frame, yeah. it's very pleasing. Oh, it's it's deeply satisfying. <laughs> so, uh, do you think anybody has like a metal H block going on, or aluminum grind plates, or I remember ha- I had those for a while. Josh Petty made those, um, famous or trendy, I guess, for a little bit. He had those on his Fifth Elements. Um, what where will metal ever make a comeback? in skating? Um, I would really like it to. I would like grind plates to come back for a variety of reasons. But um, 
it, it, I, I hope that it comes back. I would like, I would really like the removable H block to come back. And in some ways, I think that a lot of what's happened in rollerblading has been um, really pretty regressive. Um, a lot of the stuff that companies like CDS Detroit were doing way back in the day were really way ahead of their time, I think, where you could change materials and uh, you could have H-blocks and grind plates and you could bolt on plastic bits. I think it made everything look pretty silly, but it was it was really functional and function was really leading the way. And I think one of the major shifts that happened was... Um, when when the when the super or I think either no before the super flat came out when the just the razors flat was out they had cuffs that came in a couple of different hardnesses you could get the medium the hard or the soft and they were incidentally different colors and people started just getting the cuffs because they wanted to color coordinate their skates they didn't actually care if the cuffs were hard or soft they just wanted the color and I think that Andy and a number of other people just decided well hell you know, if you guys just want colors, we can give you colors. And and that's really guided things, I think, for a long time. That that function has kind of gone away. How many hardnesses of the... It was razors, cuffs, and backslide plates, right? Was it soles as well? Um, oh, 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 I see what you're saying. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I think it was just cuffs. Just cuffs? They didn't... I, no backslide plates. So how how many? You no, know, it it might have been it might have been backslide plates too. But that that could have been. Yeah, I think that might have still been on the on the razors flat, the hideous blue ones. Yeah, that turned green. They did turn green after time. So it was uh, who? And just before we get into that, would it, Marco Hinze and uh, who who would have been riding those ones? Tyler Shields. Tyler Shields, I think, was. I don't know if he was on the pro team or not. It was, um, and and I can't actually remember if if that whole crew of like Eric Shrine and Robert Leavanos and um, John Elliott. I don't know if they were on yet. No, it was still kind of Razor's infancy. There's a really interesting story about when uh, in that Seven Days documentary. I hope someone could put that online, where uh, John Elliott came to California and was uh, he rode for RB when he was in Europe and. Uh -huh. He was just trying to get on like a skate company. It didn't matter which one. And I remember one of the things he said was that the super flat looked kind of cool. And so, yeah. um, and then it was that um, who was Austrian? Is it Andy's Austrian? The, yeah, Andy Wagner. Yeah, and then it that that's when that friendship formed. And so, when he came on, he helped that company quite a bit. Like a lot of people bought. Um, the first flats or creams or the first one like the gray and black one because of John Elliott. Oh yeah, well that wouldn't surprise me because John Elliott's badass. <laughs> His section in uh, Wasteland specifically. Oh yeah, okay. Would have sold a whole bunch of yeah skates and uh, what a turnaround that was. But anyways, um, we can talk about that too for Razors going from they were kind of like a like not a cool company and then. They they ran it for quite a long time, and now I'm not sure where they are. But um, anyways, hardnesses of of cuffs, and so that was really short lived, really short lived. Oh yeah, like it was like 15 minutes. Relatively <laughs> speaking, um, and what it was soft to 
me it was soft, medium, and hard, pretty much. Yeah, I think that there was a there was a um, there was a light a light blue one, or maybe maybe it was like white, light blue, and and dark blue, or something like that. And and there no one of them was baby blue, I think. And and I everybody everybody wanted those because they thought it made the skates look customized and whatever, but. Nobody actually had preference for like high cuffs that were soft, and I I really liked that. My favorite skates of all time were um, a pair of a pair of Shima ones that I had that I actually cut I cut the cuff like in in half and then bolted another cuff on top of that. So it was like a double cuff that went all the way to the top of that Shima liner. You know the first one that had Shima really big on the back. Yeah. And so it was a a, a really giant cuff with two flex points in the ankle and um, really really flexy but it went all the way up to like the middle of my shin and uh, it was just excellent excellent and what is that about that uh, cuff structure that you love for uh, when it translates into the feel of skating or, or grinding even um, well since I since I ride um, since I ride rocker and, and sometimes sometimes a pretty severe rocker um, I, I really like everything to feel really loose almost floppy um just because that's that's how i've always liked my skates even even when i played hockey yeah me too and because because you kind of like you the the skate can sort of like i don't know i don't want to say flop or flex but you can you I, i feel like there's there's more control to be had and i know that a lot of people disagree with me but uh i feel like there's there's more there's more potential for control but it's, I guess, maybe more minute control, and I really hate to use the analogy, but I think it's 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 akin to riding loose trucks on a skateboard. And that's a thing. Is there a big separation? Like, what style? Someone who has loose trucks on a skateboard. What is that? That's someone who enjoys carving more or riding bulls and things. I think it's it's kind of a double-edged sword because some some people. Some people who who can skate with really high precision can can do things much more fluidly and much more easily, and I feel the same way about rollerblading. Uh, as far as loose skates and rockers, uh, rocker wheel setups, um, but I think that there's also enormous potential for shit to just be sloppy as fuck. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And what is that about? So, do you have really strong ankles or muscles in your feet from from skating that setup for so long? Like your the arch of your foot and all the muscles around there must be pretty badass. From, I, I mean, I, I maybe I have no way of knowing you know, at all. But um, what what I liked about a really high cuff in that setup is that when you do things like um, when you do things like torques, um, you can flex all the way over, but you're also getting support all the way up your shin. So it's not it's not just your ankle holding it up. You're actually putting pressure on the top of your shin. And so it feels to me like the weight is distributed more evenly from you know toe to shin. Yeah, and um, also oxygens, oxygens were really good about that. They had the flex, the the sort of slotted cuff, and that that kind of, and it was a really high cuff on the original oxygens. But they were flexy. Yeah, and it slid. It's it would slide up and down in that slot. But because the cuff was so high, you were actually bearing weight. You know, the weight transfer is actually going through the upper part of the side of your shin rather than just letting your foot and ankle have to deal with everything. There's not really any skate on the market. The uh the Jado 2.0 looks like it's higher cuff than normal, isn't it? Um 
I, I, I don't I don't know the answer to that. I think it, it, it might appear that way. Um, I did like I did like the shadows a lot as far as performance, in the way that they were um, a, a fairly high cuff, but still pretty flexy. Yeah, they were. And uh, I like that a lot. The main problem that I had with those was just that the Royal Group was in the wrong place for me. Yeah. And there's no there's there's nothing to be done about it. Yeah, I remember when I did have Nims, my Royal Groove naturally wore out closer to the back of my heel. Huh? Um, so I wonder if naturally, like, if if there were just wheels protruding out of your bare feet and you were to do a Royale in your bare feet, that huh? that's the natural movement is to have your your toes pointing um, in the old school way. Because there is kind of like a little bit of flesh. There almost is like a backslide plate on your, not a plate, but uh, a fleshy I part. Know, I know what you mean. Yeah, I, it's... I think anatomically it makes more sense because you can get more flex out of your ankle if you point your toe. And, yeah. And and so so having the, like the the old school uh, you know rollerblade boot somebody somebody should coin a, a term for the classic boot you know the kind of you know the majestic twelve valo cult uh, cult you know somebody should name that something so we can just refer to it more easily. Yeah, you're right. Because uh, I do find that people that skate in those boots, like um, Majestic 12s, uh, Cults, and then also Volo, there's a very classic style for the most part. Like um, yeah. your your trick execution, which I don't like talking about too much because that, that's not the way I kind of view skating. But I do know that when I skated Majestics, um, the way that I performed certain grinds felt very... Um, textbook uh-huh. I guess if that's the right word and um, yeah, that that suits me there are there are people that have skated the newer razors and then gone back to the cults and their style just looks more like them in in when they've gone back to cults or majestic 12 so um, there should be a name for that what would that be <laughs> if you had to come up with something oh god on the spot I don't think I could come up with anything with any staying power but you know the the traditional boot or the classic boot or something like that. Would classic it be shell. the TRS boot, almost? It should be. I mean, it's probably a rollerblade brand skate that came out. I don't know which ones it would be. Something from the eighties. I mean, I've I've actually I've actually got you know, and actually, if you go way back, I've I've got, um, I I was at a a, a vintage bookstore in Detroit last summer, and I bought a copy of Roller Skating Magazine from nineteen seventy nine. Or not? Maybe no, no. 1980 or 81, somewhere around around there, and they were marketing roller skates that were the 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 same basic boot that Bauer was making for all the like rec skates that they had for the longest time, like the F3 and the um, all those other ones. Kind of like the Bauer frontside boot. Yeah, it, it, it was it was still the Bauer frontside boot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but they had that boot as early as 1980 with ice hockey skates. And in, and they were making them for roller skates, and they were advertising them in Roller Skating Magazine in 1980 or 81 or whenever the hell it was. Really? So that boots. I, yeah, I can I can scan it and send you a picture of it. It's it's. Wow. It, that, it's been around forever, and it's and it's only it's only kind of aesthetically different from the cult boot, from the rollerblade boot, from you know the you know whatever the old Rosies were, the Rosies Roams, and all those ones that were way back in the day. It didn't it have more of a hockey tongue and cuff 
on it. Um, at least I remember the Bauer front sides had more of a hockey style. Yeah, those had a leather tongue, but uh, the old ones just had those like shitty orange-colored liners that were just as crappy as anything else. Like. <laughs> <laughs> um oh what was i gonna say about that we, uh, okay yeah go ahead go ahead oh um just this is kind of unrelated but roller skates have you tried like a roller skate boot before like have you gone to a roller rink and tried like a lower cut super no. flexy leathery boot no i haven't put on a roller skate and, and not not for any reason other than i just haven't gone um no not not in decades um yeah cuz it's uh you can see how the the rems boot and I guess we've talked about this before on other podcasts but how the rems boot came from from a roller skate boot um uh, yeah, definitely and uh I never actually got to skate the argons to relate back to what we were talking oh. about earlier um they but, were they were glorious they had a lot of a lot of forward thinking in that but uh I I do know that I that I love my laces really tight and my heel clamped down, but a decent amount of ankle mobility, and that's kind of how I've been skating my skates for for a long time. And I always wondered what it would be like to to try the Argon just for having that. So you say it had ankle mobility, but it was supportive in the in the upper area. Well, it was it was a high cuff skate. Yeah. But the 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 cuff bolt itself actually sat in a slot. And so the cuff could pivot up and down through that slot. On the inside of the ankle, it was fixed, but on the outside, it was set in a slot. So when you flex to do a royale, it would bend and pull the bolt down or pull the bolt up, I guess, so that you're you're in the upper part of the slot and you're still supported with a high cuff. And then when you're skating, it slides back down, and you're supported when you're taking a stride. Say, I didn't even know that. So that they must own that technology. What's I mean, that? it's just a slot. Like, you could get a razor blade and cut it into your cuffer right now if you wanted to. And it doesn't change anything structurally? It doesn't make it... Uh, I did. I mean, there was a lot of a lot of amazing skating happened in those things. Definitely. And uh, ski boots haven't adopted that or anything, have they? Like, uh, No, I, 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 I ski as well, and I think that, uh, I think that it's, you, you don't need that kind of flex in a ski boot because you're not trying to do, do a Royale type of thing with your ankle. So, because you skied so much, does that has that kind of influenced the higher cuff for you, or uh, do you wear your ski boots completely different? Oh no, I wear my ski boots fucking tight as shit. Yeah, and uh, I just got um, I just got those Aqua Intuition liners for my Sebas, and they're incredible. Have you ever tried the uh, Intuition liners for ski boots? No, I haven't. Um. They're amazing. They're the break-in time's a little bit weird, but um, I still have to skate them a little bit more. But um, it's really interesting that eighty percent density foam is uh, oh is yeah, really interesting to try in a inline skate because I'm used to kind of shittier foams, and this is oh, yeah. really really thin, but um, super super hard. Like um, you don't need footbeds in it because it molds to your foot, and uh, it it's shock absorbing in its own way so i'm excited to report bat back more about that i was just wondering if uh you had no any... i haven't i haven't actually crossed that threshold i've thought about it i've i've you know sat you know navel gazing so to speak and looking at all kinds of different stuff my gra- my garage is just a graveyard of of skates that i've tried and hated i was i was um 
I was thinking about that when you asked Cody the question, you know, two weeks ago or whatever, and he and he said something like, "No, man, I, I love every pair of skates I've ever bought." <laughs> oh man, I've I've got ten pairs of skates in my garage that I hate. And I've talked about this with Todd before because he he doesn't he tries not to think about how his skate feels too much. Um, yeah. And I do, and that can sometimes be a curse. So have you found that there's people who just their skates aren't even working that great, but they can still have a fun session. And uh, yeah. you might just be cursed with um, you really think about how you what you would change on the skate or what's not working. So um, what's like the worst pair of skates that you've had that was like as soon as they may have felt good when you put them on. But as soon as you started rolling and tried to grind, was yeah. there anything that was just terrible right off the bat? Um, yeah, um, let's see the worst. The USD Legacy with the metal cuff. <laughs> How did you commit I, I, to those to begin with? I didn't. I didn't even realize it was a metal cuff. I saw the pictures of the Richards that were all black, and they looked super, super cool. I thought, and uh, I, like I, I, Jason, Jason Howard was running uh, Connections Skate Shop at, in Houston at the time, and and I got I got him to to hook me up with a pair of those. And um, I, I had no idea that they were metal until I actually got them physically, and I thought, "Oh, oh, good Christ! Who, who was who was smoking what awful fucking Drano when they decided to make a cuff out of metal?" <laughs> and uh, there's uh, Demetrius George was able to rock those, and Carlos rocked them for a bit. Yeah, and made I mean, them work. Is that just because uh, they're really good at skating, and it just translated? Wait, you, you broke up a little bit. What did you say? Oh, just um, the idea of did the skates actually work for their style or is were they just so good that they could make any skate work kind of to relate to that? Um, I, I, I probably couldn't say anything about, about Demetrius, but uh, Carlos is just gnarly as fuck. And like, he, he, he I mean... I I feel you could put anything on his feet and he would still jump off of bridges and shit like that. Um, it was what was intriguing to me though was that there was there was a lot of there was a lot of kind of micro adjustment parts like you could move the royale groove forward and backward uh, in this in this little set of grooves that it had. Yeah. You could move the sole plates uh, in and out and up and down, and both on the on the sole side and the negative side, and they just seemed like they had a lot of really neat ideas. But it was just a, a a bullet in the head to put those those metal cuff brackets on there because you know it had a really soft cuff upper, but for me that just it wasn't it was in combination it just wasn't enough flex for those two guys, um, you know it might have been enough flex for them, but and, it definitely wasn't for me. So uh, did you have more than one session in those, or was that instantaneous? They didn't make it past no, I, the first I, session. I tried to make them work, and I got those. Um, I guess I was that's that's when I was skating in in Colorado with uh, with Pat, um, and you know I skated them for a good couple of months. I mean they've got grooves in them and stuff, but uh, it, I just hated it. You know I just hated it. Um, Colorado, how long did you live there for? Um, six years maybe. Seven years, something like that. Six years, and there was a—that's kind of a 
Um, like there hasn't been anyone big that's come out of that skate scene, but it's that's it's always been. Um... Well, Brian Aragon came out of that skate scene. Oh fuck me! He has a skate park named after him now. Um. Yeah, he does. I think. <laughs> Brian Aragon. I remember. Um, is it the Benders were from Colorado? Yeah, Adam and Luke. Yep. Um, and then I think Mr. Sean Cullen um, was from Colorado or lived there for a little bit. Andy Cruz, did he have a stint in Colorado? I think so. I don't. I don't know Sean, um, but I, I I think that he was out there for a while. Um, there's a couple other guys whose names you would know. Um, oh God, what's his name? I can't think of it at the minute. Anywho. So, was Colorado, oh. like, oh, go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say, Colorado's amazing for skating. And uh, that's one place in the United States that's apparently, just from what I've heard, quite unique to the rest of the United States. Is that true? Um, I've heard on the Joe Rogan podcast that there's too many hippies. In Colorado? Yeah. Hmm. Maybe in Fort Collins, it's it's pretty well it's pretty well parceled up. You know, you got uh, Fort Collins and Boulder that are pretty left leaning like that, but you have places like Colorado Springs, which are about as far right as you can get. And Denver, I think, is pretty normal for a you know sort of big midwestern city. Yeah, lots of amazing skate parks from what I've seen. Oh man, yeah. The only thing, the only place with even close to as many skate parks is like Phoenix. Greater Phoenix, um, I lived there in the middle of college for a little while, and uh, Greater Phoenix probably has fucking 15 skate parks, all, all of which are amazing. And Denver Denver probably has, oh man, I don't even know. There's a great website called coloradoskateparks.com, I think. Don't quote me on that if you're looking. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if it's that or not, but there's a big giant list of, um, of skate parks, and there's just hundreds. And uh, are these just public skate anytime? Is there uh, a, when do the lights go out, or do you have to wear helmets? How does this all work in the United States? I have, I don't think I've set foot or wheel on a on an American skate park before, ever. Oh wow, really? Yeah, I know. You guys are siloed <laughs> up there. Um, yeah, no, I, I I think I haven't been to any skate parks in Colorado that required pads or or had a guard or had a you know uh, monitor of any kind. Um, most of them have lights on till you know I think about ten o'clock at night or so, and you just show up and skate. Awesome. Um, the scootering population in in Texas is that becoming a thing yet? Um. You know, we're not we're, we we mostly see um, like at the skate park in Austin here. We see we see a couple of kids who can who can do it, uh, and but it's mostly like if you go on a Saturday morning when all the moms and dads show up with little little ones, um, it's just little ones. So I haven't actually encountered much in the way of um, of the scootering scene, but. Um, you know they've more or less replaced us at Woodward. Yeah, um, did I don't know you, if you read that or not? Did you read Lake that? Owen, Lake Owen, Lake Owen doesn't have an inline program at all anymore. Woodward uh, in PA is totally divided. Uh, both Woodward uh, PA and Woodward West 
both have, um, I think, seven weeks of rollerblading. In PA, it's the first half, and in, in Woodward West, it's the second set of seven weeks. So there's not even a whole summer. And in both places, there's like one person doing inline everything, and they teach all the classes, and they do all the management and everything. I'm pretty sure it, it, in Woodward and PA, it's still Mike Bennett. I thought it was, um, uh, what's his name, out in uh, Woodward West, but I think he's gone now. There was a there was a joke I think at the I I missed the last pop contest but there was a joke that it people were saying uh, it was like the children of men but the rollerblading version oh <laughs> the average age now like at Canadian events is we're getting into mid twenties for you know if there's thirty or forty people there yeah averages yeah mid twenties yeah. for Texas, sure Texas I think is a lot like that where. I think more more people are drinking age than aren't. Uh, there's really only a handful of people who aren't, at least in the Austin scene. Um, but it's just just to finish off the thought on scootering, like I, I recognize that those guys are on the come up, and you know I, I I feel pretty strongly about you know how how we should be polite to those guys. But uh, I haven't actually encountered any of them enough to to sit down and talk to anybody or see what they do. Although. One time, speaking of, of, of Pat and I in, in uh, Colorado, um, the day that I bought, I just got in the mail a pair of uh, rims that I bought, and um, they were they came in the box anti-rocker, and I was pretty pissed, but uh, there's this big, long snake front, and we were doing backsides all the way down it, and I was pretty happy to just be able to backside for days with anti-rocker wheels, but um, there was a scooter guy there, and he was doing fucking huge, like, eight-foot airs out of this giant 10-foot quarter pipe at the end of the snake run. And I'd never in my life seen anything like it, and I thought it was pretty badass. And so did you, you gave him props? Yeah, yeah, but I mean, he was just, I mean, he wasn't he wasn't looking to make friends or anything, and, you know, it doesn't bother me. But, you know, I, it was, uh, before that, I didn't realize that there was dudes, like, doing that shit for real. And uh, there clearly are, and they've got their own scene, and it's growing, and it's probably, it's probably picking up, uh... It's probably doing to rollerblading what rollerblading did to skateboarding, where the younger kids getting into it are picking up scooters instead of rollerblades, the same way that people were picking up rollerblades instead of skateboards in the 90s. But what the... And then, so if you were to look at the extreme sports food chain, um, what what does that do to skateboarding then, just in your if you had a theory about that? Um, There's two dimensions of skateboarding that are worth talking about there, because um, what what... What skateboarding has that no one else has, as far as action sports, is a, a kind of a, a cultural currency, where it's cool to be a skateboarder, even if you can't really do it. Like you just stand around and have a skateboard, and you're suddenly cool. Yeah. Uh, and people people believe that. And the other thing that they have is that they've successfully marketed to uh, young women, and and created a a mindset where you know it's cool to be a skateboarder's girlfriend. And that kind of thing, and and that's really been bankrolling uh, skateboarding for, you know, the last 10, 15 years, maybe 20. All the money that they've had to do stuff like the Warp Tour came from selling, you know, purses and pink backpacks and stuff like that. Yeah, and how you said there was a van skate park in Colorado, so they had a chain of skate parks in the United States. Oh yeah, they did. I didn't. I didn't realize you didn't know that. Um, uh, there was all chain of them. 
how how many like uh just off the top of your head like how many van skate parks would they and they would have been at a dozen would they have been at like shopping malls yeah they were in malls yeah what yeah that's so wild (laughs) just vans branded skate parks and shopping malls the first time i the first time i heard of that was actually in uh like an old daily bread or box i think there's a picture of josh petty doing a front side down this big ass rail that was the staircase that went up to the vert ramp. Oh yeah, and the caption nobody clapped, but then someone landed a little trick and everyone clapped. Yeah, or that's right. Like, yeah. Um and uh we got passes to like the warp tour, I think ninety seven and ninety eight in Vancouver through Daily Bread. Mm-hmm. Um so I remember that and that's when I first saw Rems, just to make a weird uh connection there. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. But uh we're going to jump kind of here. So one more question before I jump to the next topic. Do you think rollerblading is, um, just talking about the age range and, and scootering and everything, do you think rollerblading is inaccessible um, to, to just general people who come across it at, at a skate park? And um, it, that idea of, of I, being... I, I, don't, I don't think so. And I, 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 reject, I think that there's a lot of, a lot of kind of chatter um, about how, you know, there's no shops and, you know, magazines come out, you know, only, you know, a couple times a year and that kind of thing. But it's, it's a different world that the, that the young, the young, the young people now are coming up in where they, they don't need to have the shop on main street to know that it exists. Like the, the savviness of kids coming up with the internet is totally different than what we had. And the fact that I was, you know, able to get my hands on a Team Paradise catalog, you know, as a as a as a kid in '94, uh, I don't think I, I think it's 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 much more accessible now, and you can find that stuff if you if you type in, you know, buy buy rollerblades, you know, uh, uh, aggressive or whatever, um, shops are like within the top, you know, within the first page. You brought up an interesting point there. Um... That kids kids the, are savvy, dude, and they can find shit out that like we don't give them credit for. But even just the the search function. So let's just say um, that I was to go to a skate park outside of my town, and some young kids, maybe I didn't talk to them or anything, and they went home and they looked up rollerblades. So what did they like? Did they enter in <laughs> trick rollerblades, or what do you think the term is? If if there's no actual conversation that happens between the oh. rollerblader doing the tricks, and that's where it gets confusing because I think if you were to just look up rollerblades on yeah. Google, so um, we know it as rollerblading. That's what yeah. we call it. Aggressive is kind of a dead thing, but like I don't think the kid would know to look up aggressive skates. So I actually haven't tried that myself. Have you ever looked up trick skates or something like that? And I, I haven't, but but that's that's where I think that the the um, the ignorance on our part is that we don't we don't give enough credit to the kids who would try uh, a couple of different search terms: um, trick skating, trick rollerblading, uh, stunt rollerblading, you know, jumps. I mean, I can't I can't even I can't even imagine. But you know, to do to do you know to search for five or ten or twenty different terms in Google would only take you what. Two three minutes, and then the Team Paradise catalog was like I would put that shit in my notebook like a Bible and and 
stare at the same oh, yeah. pictures over and over again or stare at products and yeah i mean if you think it's hard enough to come up with aggressive skating as a search term try to come up with team paradise in the phone book <laughs> in, in in a different state i mean they were in they were in like oregon or california or somewhere yeah i got to go to it i remember um oh that's awesome our family went to disneyland was chad was grout in... still working there chad grout mm-hmm. did he work at team paradise i thought he did are they I still I talked to him on the phone there one time when I was little. Um, I was, oh my god, I saw you in the bottom line, man. You're so cool. <laughs> He's like, "Hey, thanks, kid." <laughs> <laughs> he was probably 18 and I was probably 13 or something. He was such a unique style, Chad Grout. What was it about Portland specifically? Anyways, that's a that's a side topic. Um there was something I was gonna say. I'll probably come. I'll be able to come back to it. So we we touched on CDS Detroit a little bit, but um, I have the note here: the the loss of grind plates. Um, yeah. Do you still use them or? No, um, the the split the split's too big for any grind plates that I have. Like all the new frames, the split's too big. So, are, are grind plates still usable? And they could be necessary, and they could be an actual interesting. Well, here's 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 the really interesting or really neat thought that I have about grind plates. Okay, it goes back to it goes back to wheel setups, and the reason why those my favorite grind plates of all time were though I have two pairs the the way back in the day, the uh, CDS Detroit Burgundies, which were like three eighths I think of an inch thick, like they were pretty thick grind plates. Yeah, uh, those and the big the big Senate aluminums that were out. Not yep. the old Senate wrenches, but the thick Senate aluminums. Yeah, the ones that I said Josh Petty kind of popularized those. Oh, yeah, okay. he, had, he had them in VG7, anyways. Right, right, okay. So what, what's, what's valuable to note, I think, about those, those um, grind plates is that if you think about how your foot angles to, to lock on to, say, a front side, right, yeah. The the wheelbase that you that you or the the size the the wheel size that you can have um, is much much bigger because by by lifting the frame up higher effectively because you're putting a grind plate in between that the frame and the and the ledge or the rail um, you you base you effectively get a larger split because you're moving up the 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 radius profile of the wheel. And and it occurs to me that we never really got wheel bite back in the day because we had grind plates, even though we were riding 55, 57s flat, uh, or 57s, uh, you know, or, or 57s rockered. Um, oh shit! You're right, and you could lean a little bit more into your front foot. Yeah, and so so what you're doing is you're effectively lifting your your frame off of the whatever it is that you're grinding on, and so you wouldn't get wheel bite because the the wheels were an inch or half an inch above the rail or above the ledge anyway. You know, I think you're one of the first people to bring this up and discuss this. Like, I don't know if anyone's actually, like, dug the grave of the grind plate and opened the box back up and been like, let's talk yeah. about this. We didn't, we didn't, we didn't get wheel bite in 98, man. <laughs> and I was doing, I was trying to you know do you, do you call it shoe the horse when you grind all the way around a horseshoe bowl corner? No, but I like the term. It might be a Texas thing. I don't know. We call it shoe in the horse when you grind all the way around the horseshoe. And uh, <laughs> that that was funny in itself. Could be a Texas thing. 
Yeah, maybe. We call it shoe the horse. At one of our old skate parks, we had a horseshoe-shaped bowl corner, and yeah. uh, we, we called it shoe and the horse. But um, I used to backside that thing all fucking day, you know, back Royale, back Nugan, um, topsail, backside, whatever. Have and you it tried- was totally, totally fine, but I was do- I was trying to do the same thing at the new uh, the new uh, concrete park we have, and I was just doing a back royale. And there's a big long flat that leads into it, and there's a really good uh, angle you can come to get like tons of speed. And I was mobbing into this thing doing back royale, back royale, and I was making it like halfway, halfway. And I decided I wasn't going fast enough, so I went in my in my shadows. And oh god, I was hauling and just stuck so bad on got wheel bite and it just threw me like head first into the bull corner. It hurt so bad I went straight to the bar. <sighs> Were those in the ground control frames? Um Cause uh, I don't I, you know, I don't know, because I don't the ground controls I have, um uh Jeff Akers sent me a while ago, and that was after Jan moved back to Austin from uh San Diego. So, so, so no, it was, oh, no, it was, it was, I, I, I don't want to, you know, talk badly about them, but it was creates. It was the creates that came on my shadows. Oh, I, I had, um, I don't know if it's the way that the foot is strapped in and, and how big the base plate is, but a couple of my worst wheel bites of all time have been in shadows flat. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what that's about. I don't know if that's like the distance of the, something just didn't work. Um, but I was going to say, have you tried the Volo frames? Just like I the didn't. stock? I haven't because of, I, oh God. Whew, that's what? Well, there's something alive in the bushes behind where I'm sitting. Oh shit. It's gone now. What? Okay. What would it have been? I have no idea. <laughs> it could have been any number of things. It could have been a possum. It could have been a raccoon. Uh... I don't know. Coming for the Red Bull can or No, there's like I'm 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 on my back deck and there's like a a bunch of bushes behind me where I'm sitting. So, it's a couple of feet away. They're not coming for me. Okay. Good. Good. So, yeah, follow frames um they're still one of my favorites and now that I've talked to you about this grind plate thing, it's because the they're pretty thick. Mm-hmm. The frame walls are really thick and I actually haven't thought about that that um I stick less on those and the groove is small and the split is big but not too big. Mm-hmm. So it has this perfect kind of uh I just don't stick as much when I skate yeah. flat on those. Um, those 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 skates I, I got I got um I got some of those and I was really keen to, to try out those frames but um I actually I have a I have a big ass foot. I wear like a twelve and um a number of people were were lobbying me to try to do a toe cut and size down, and so I, I wear a 12, and I bought a size 10 shell in Valo, which is a, a like a true 10, and toe cut it, and put in the um, what are the the black um, truss the neoprene ones? Oh yeah, Spec Ops. Yeah, so I put those in there with the toe cut, and they actually fit great. The only problem that I have is that. Uh, the uh, the Royale is in the wrong place. The Royale groove is in the wrong place. But um, the frames that came on those skates were like the small or the medium size ones. And oh yeah, those wouldn't. I, I really need a frame to be twelve inches long from bolt to bolt. Yeah, because uh, if a frame's too small, depending on the boot, have you ever? There's that feeling where it's like 
you yeah. have the the tiniest little dolly and you're like working stock somewhere and you just keep putting pallets. Yep. Absolutely. On it. That's a great that's a great metaphor. My friend Jared bought a pair of those dupe skates with the big giant wheels. Yeah. And uh I was skating in those the other day. Not the ones with three wheels, but the ones with four. Yeah. And the frames that came on them are really, really small so that in a in a you know, you can fit a size twelve shoe in there, but when you sit down and put your feet out, you can't see the wheels. And uh it's nice. I mean, it's really nice to have such a short wheelbase, but uh, it not not practically. But with a with a rockered setup, you can still have a longer frame, and have a short yeah. feel, which that's the beauty of yeah, it. Yeah, definitely. I don't know if you that, listened to, um, to the uh, the Leon podcast. He had this theory that um, the actual learning curve of inline skating, in terms of speed control, and um, just the feel of skating that if all skates came rockered that the actual uh, learning curve would be a little bit higher but once people got used to rockered fitness skates uh-huh. and rec skates that it might be more accessible to the public so I don't know what do you think about that as far as the learning curve I think that's exactly right because it w- the reason why it's good that they're flat because you know people are like People standing on rollerblades for the first time is like a fucking you know newborn gazelle walking for the first time. You ever see that on like Discovery Channel where the you know antelope or whatever is born out of the mother and it just plops onto the ground and it's like yeah. you got to stand up and we're walking across this fucking savanna right now or you're gonna get eaten by the lions. Yeah, the knees go inward. Yeah, the and legs you look go like outward. Yeah, like but, a people ten second old deer who has to walk right away, and that's what you, people look like. Do you think that rocker, though, for beginners could, if they learned from the beginning on rocker, that it could help their enjoyment and and uh, experience of skating? If rocker was more standard in just people getting in, getting into skating and trying skating, or I is mean, it as, is as it, a personal bias? I would love it if that were the case, um, and I think I think that people would be better if they skated rocker skates. But uh, you know, that's that's that's. Uh, a Herculean effort to try to persuade people that that's the way to go, especially when grinding is so uh, idealized in rollerblading. And because uh, anti rocker is going to be the best setup, it's it's better even than than uh, freestyle frames, unless you're trying to grind a you know a telephone pole or a big ass a big ass square thing. <laughs> when did? Can you can you pinpoint the moment where um, grind plates officially died? How did that happen? Because I can't, I don't know, I don't know when that happened. Um, it it would be it would be the moment when UFS came out, and frames went from you know being mounted on your skates to being a disposable thing. So it would have been whenever UFS was. It would be the moment of UFS. So two thousand two thousand one. And there was still like skates would come with you know fifty fifty frames, and maybe a fifty fifty grind plate like the earliest USD Pro skates and uh, yeah some of the yeah K twos would K twos would a little K two was really late to the game I think there was because there was a, a legal dispute with them and Solomon and it's actually um, you know I'm not actually that up on my history Jake Barnes knows all of it and. Um, Oh God! What's that guy's name? Casey. Um, oh God. Casey Norris from uh, he's from Baltimore, I think, originally or Virginia. 
And uh, he was, he now lives, I think, in San Diego, and he was instrumental in getting the UFS uh, standard made. If you want to talk to him, his name's Casey Norris, so I could put you in touch. He's an awesome what, guy. Was he on the sequence message board way back when? Oh, God, sequence, holy shit. Um, yeah, he would definitely have been on there. I have no idea what his name would have been or anything like that. That was like the earliest source of all the up-to-date stuff. Yeah, I was on there all the time, so I remember I remember that name from back then. Because mm-hmm. it would have been uh, what Lawrence from Fifty Fifty, uh-huh. running that. Yeah, that's wow, dope. wow. Um, I I actually remembered the point that I was gonna say is um, we were on um, Dallas's skate trip stag at a skate park just a couple hours outside of town here. Um, uh huh. In Kamloops, and we met a we met a kid who had been trying to contact us on YouTube through our edits. You know, when are you coming to Salmon Arm, which was the name of the small town, and and uh, we ended up skating with this guy. Denman was his name, and um, he got into skating by seeing Chris Haffey's Killer Boots section on YouTube. Oh God, talk about a learning curve, Jesus. <laughs> That's like uh, it was <coughs> it was one of those moments where I realized um, that. Skating is promoting itself, uh-huh. just just because of the internet. But um, it's it was so interesting to hear someone younger who had just stumbled across a YouTube video and uh-huh. and ordered skates. Just I mean, who? Hang on, there's a siren going by. I mean, I mean, there's there's a couple of times in in this in 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 this talk tonight. Where I've, I've, where we were talking about what to call rollerblading and how kids would find it, and um, I've actually, I've actually put rollerblading on my resume for jobs for a long time because it, it, it catches people off guard, and they think, well, what the, f- what the fuck is that? And so it winds up being a nice kind of icebreaker for the job interview, and I always put stunt skating to try to make it accessible to people because they think, okay, you have rollerblades on and you can go off of ramps and do flips and things, and. As far as you know, my boss at a university is concerned. That's good enough for me. You know, that's close enough. I don't need him to know the difference between a savanna and a alley backside unity. <laughs> but you know, understanding that I used to do this and and you know had had gone around the world doing it. You know, it's it's good enough for me to know that. Yeah, okay. I yeah, I put these things on my feet and I jump off of shit. And that's that's close enough to get a conversation going for a job interview. But that's that's great that you. The, Anyways, go ahead. Yeah, you put it on your resume. That's amazing. And and so I was I was I would say that um, you know for for people outside of it, um, stunt skating or stunt rollerblading, or even stunt inline skating, uh, might be a term that would come to mind. And it wouldn't surprise me if you could get to that happy video by typing that in. And and frankly, I think that uh, in in a in a similar in a similar way, if I if people ask me, you know. What what like I haven't seen rollerblading in, in since the '90s, man. Like what what do you do? Uh, I will routinely play that that um, uh, killer boot section or or any other Chris Happy sections because I, I really think that he's he's a really excellent envoy for what we do. And I know that a lot of people, you know, um, you know, will say one thing or another about Happy or you know, but he's he's really one of our best. And going back to hours ago. Um, uh, Cody Sanders saying uh, that that Dustin is one of our our uh, grandmasters. I mean, 
we, we were actually trying to come up with a list, and you and I might sit here and do this for a second. I was saying off the top of my head earlier, uh, Dustin comes to mind as a grandmaster. Haffy comes to mind as a grandmaster. Walt Austin comes to mind as a grandmaster. Absolutely. And I'm sure there's probably about a dozen other people I could come up with, but um, I don't know. What do you think? Um, I have my own grandmaster list. Um, I might add... This one's kind of a wild card, but Matthew Heineman. He he hasn't done as much stuff, but um I don't know who that is. Um He had a Life Plus profile and uh he was in Traitmont, that that European film. Okay. But um Haffy, Latimer, Walt Austin, absolutely. He's that's weird. Is that just because he didn't move to California that his name's not? Walt, Walt is a complicated guy, and I think he's a lot like Champion was, where I don't think he was rollerblading for the same reasons that a lot of other people were. Yeah, I don't think oh. that he had it. I don't think that he had it quite as bad as somebody like Champion. But Champion always seemed to me like he was he was skating from a very injured, wounded place, and it was a, a kind of a violent um, outlet for him. And he seemed like he was skating for different reasons than the rest of us were. Which is wow. really saying a lot because he was so much younger than everybody. Yeah, and he talked openly about some of that stuff a little bit in uh, in old I, interviews. I think he came from a pretty a pretty crappy situation. He definitely did. Uh, Feinberg. Feinberg. I mean, I I have a hard time because once these once we start evaluating for standards, like I I immediately like start categorizing. <laughs> So, did he? Yeah, were I you going like Sean Robertson and Aaron Feinberg and Pat Lennon as being just masters, but still kind of um, esoteric and 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 stuntmen like? Okay, okay. I mean, back when back when Aaron used to skate all the ASA courses and just murder everything. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't like he was doing a hundred tricks. I mean, he was doing you know five or ten different grinds and. You know, most things both ways, but still like Soul, Machio, Sweat Stance, a couple of others. But like on some rail with a 15-foot drop to concrete, you know. And it's it's hard to compare that against the, the sort of the, that, that, um, that Dustin Latimer quality section where it's just insanity on, on eight wheels or on four wheels. So I thought that was interesting. So it was uh, Pat Lennon, Feinberg, and Robertson – were kind of in the same group, in just just off the top of your head. Yeah, yeah. Don't don't. I mean, I'm saying this publicly or whatever, but uh, don't it, quote on that. Those guys are amazing. This is just blade bullshit about yeah, yeah. grand, uh, hypothetically speaking, grandmasters, or uh, um, just bullshitting about grandmasters. So I know what you mean with those guys being lumped into that one group. So is it is it almost like um. Latimer, he broke through to another level of where it just seemed like everything was fluid, no matter what he had. Does it? Uh, yeah, gr- I think I think that that's fair to say. One of the problems we were having with we were having earlier was uh, about trying to trying to actually, you know, uh, uh, narrow narrow the parameters and try to put put words and description to it. Uh, Rob G also comes to mind as a grandmaster. Yeah, it's 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 tough though, because I mean, 
I, I know I know Rob, and so it's it's. I, I've met Dustin a couple of times, but uh, yeah, I would I would I would I would want to put Rob on there. Rob's amazing. Um, I always thought of uh, I love the podcast that that Rob was on. I always thought it was interesting that he's he's still, um, he's employed as a rollerblader, and that must be such a interesting um, mental game all the time, that. His his job is a rollerblader, but he's still kind of on the grandmaster status. Yeah. Todd Todd made the joke that when he first met Rob G in person, he was like, "If he started a cult, I would join it for sure." That's funny. <laughs> that uh, I guess the grandmaster has that charisma naturally. Like it, it's almost like when their skates are off, does the grandmaster do they continue grandmaster status in other areas of life or um? Is that if you reach Grandmaster, have you surpassed rollerblading even, and you're just a life Grandmaster? Maybe. I mean, I think I think one of the reasons why it's easier to put someone like uh, like like Dustin on there is because he's 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 perhaps more alluring because we have less access to him. He's not still around. You can't call him on the phone. I don't know if he still skates. I assume he's still skating out there some of the time in 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 Arizona. Um, but I don't actually know one way or another. I was really but, surprised. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, you know, someone like Happy, you know, we we have we have a lot more access to Chris, and and you know, you can, it's, it's it's perhaps less mysterious because um, because we do have access to him. Where Dustin seems more like a, an ethereal part of our past, and it's in some ways maybe more legendary because there's less access to him. Yeah, that's true. I, I was very surprised that when I, I just kind of shot him a message, because I mean we do a lot of this on Facebook. It's it's easier to access people to either you know do a podcast or maybe throw out some questions for the website, and um, it could have just been a fluke. But um, he was open to answering some questions for the website and got back to me within less than half a day with answers. Yep. That's cool. But. Um, that could have been a fluke. Like, I don't know if we'd be able to get him on the podcast. Whereas Haffy, um, the output of Haffy as a grandmaster, if, if you just got into to skating and wanted to study everything that Chris Haffy had done, he's almost quadrupled what other grandmasters have done for yeah. skate, skating output. Like, he could retire right now and have a very, very, very strong... Ooh. Oof, oof, yeah, oof, yeah. His back catalog of sections and everything um, mm-hmm. could be very strong. And uh, it's weird. Why do you think? Why would Haffy not be a grandmaster to some people? Whereas, is that just their placement in in skating time? Um, kind of. I like think. What? I think. I think a lot of a lot of rollerblading culture is sort of. Uh, um, shut down from stunts and the kind of skating that was sort of big in the 90s and early 2000s where it was just how big can we go and uh, how many you know the, the like the holy grail back in the day was like a 540 back royale and now you go to any contest and that's like almost standard uh, but the, the, the skating now seems to have shifted from big stuff down to much more smaller uh, style oriented um, technical Type of skating, and and the the kind of big 
gnarly stunt sections I think are probably just conceptually inaccessible to a lot of people and and I think that they're not really able to to kind of comprehend skating like that because they're you know the idea of doing a a, a 30 stair rail and doing 10 tricks on it is is a wild idea and and Haffy I think is still skating like it's like it's you know 2000 2001 and a lot of people now aren't really skating that way and aren't really looking at the world that way yeah who who do you connect with uh, i mean outside of Haffy his his um his... oh Joey Chase man i love watching that guy skate i'll watch i, I love watching Joey Chase skate um his section in wake up which unfortunately isn't online have you seen that one oh uh, probably not i don't know if it's um, not online, I probably haven't seen it. That one needs to be online. If anyone's listening, John Jenkins, who made that video, um, uh-huh. if you can put that up. That is incredible, and I feel like a lot of people haven't seen that video. There was a, It's got kind of that mix of um, speed, technical, uh, danger, creativity, looking at spots in a unique way. Um, it's got yeah. that like passion to it. Um, he well, I, think, I think that Happy has that in spades, but people just people just for some reason shut off to it. I I, I would say without question, with without without even blinking, uh, you know, Dustin and Chris and Walt are are grandmasters without question because they've got the full catalog. Definitely, Walt is someone who. Oh God, I can't even think of anyone who's come close to some of the stuff that he's done. And so you said you you kind of related his skating to Champion, or was that did I interpret that wrong? That just, I, I think I, yeah, I I would say so. That, he's, he's skating. He seems like he's skating for a different reason than a lot of the rest of us are. Yeah, and it, I, I skate because I'm kind of OCD, and it's a way to control things, and I like I like control, at least in some area of my life. Wow, um, I think you and Todd might have something in common with that. I'm I have I have obsessive. But I don't have, I don't know what my thing is. Um, I might not have a a, um, a wrangle on my inner child, uh, so he can let loose in that yeah. way. I haven't figured that out. So, um, do you think a lot of the what have the grandmasters done? In have they just fully realized their connection to skating then? their personal connection to skating and it just comes through with no barriers or anything um this i don't know this is a bit of a cop-out answer but um i think that's for them to decide honestly uh, not not being a grandmaster myself i i can't say that i i can speak for them <laughs> and the grandmasters wouldn't even have to answer the question because it comes through yeah, it gets, in their it skating all, it gets all eastern and they just look at you and you fall asleep or something like that <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's a perfect point to move on if we can do a little bit more here. Um Brian Cran is it Kranz? I've never actually it's Kranz, right? Brian Kranz. Yeah. Um that's just a note, one of the notes written down. So um are you a you're a reader of the Blade I'm or Die? I'm a big fan. I, I, I I'm 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 glad to kinda of get this in before the bell. I, I think that uh He's 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 excellent, and um, the 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 blog that I write is uh, has has a very small niche audience, and there's only a few people who I think are 
are interested in hearing about skating and the the ways that I'm trying to talk about it. Um, but I think that Brian really has a a, a mature voice that's um, imbued, I guess, with with um, with 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 really excellent institutional memory and and maturity, and I think that he he has those things, but he's still he's still accessible. I think to a to a younger audience, and that's that's something that I think is extraordinarily valuable. Um, I think a lot of people want to um, a lot of people naysay and and want to um, you know just just poo poo everything that's out there, but um, I think that Brian is doing some really valuable things in rollerblading right now. I agree, and uh, for me personally, because um, you would get upset at finding out that um, I was a decent English student, but um, for the final exam, it was, um, I think the topic for the grade 12 exam was things endure over time, and mm -hmm. uh, my interpretation of endure was wrong, but there was a lot of passion in my writing, so I got a shitty mark, but a good mark at the same time, so uh -huh. what I'm saying, my writing's an understanding of writing isn't the greatest, but what I love about uh, his blog and his writing is um, I feel a shitload of emotions in a short amount of time, mm -hmm. if that counts for anything, even yeah. if I don't know much about writing. So um, I love reading his stuff because of that. It takes you on a roller coaster ride, kind of. And um, he's he's savvy. He's a savvy uh, writer for sure. And and. Um, I'm 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 really pleased with rollerblading that there's it's now I think it's it's just now getting to a, a very good point and I'm I, I consider myself to be one of the optimists of in in rollerblading and I think it's great and I think that we have a very big tent and um, there's room there's room now for someone like me to write a, a very strange and esoteric blog about academics and rollerblading and there's you know a couple of people who are interested in reading that and I think that that's really cool but I think that um, we're, we're, we're big enough now where we can start having uh, good rollerblading writers the same way that we have good rollerblading cinematographers and good rollerblading photographers and good ledge skaters and good rail skaters and so on where there's uh, a very big tent that everybody can fit in. Wow and you've written about the tent have I? Okay, cool. Well, sweet. You've used tent before. Okay. Um, but I've never heard Good. it. That's uh, what it is. It's what it seems like. It feels like a big tent. And we have lots of room for lots of different points of view. I've never heard it stated that way. That's really good. Um, it's old school American politics where that comes from. <laughs> where, um, the, the tent. The, the, big, the big parties, the big, um, you know... Uh, political the big political parties would have rallies and things in a in a big tent, like a circus t like a big top circus tent. Yeah, and they would get everybody in, and you would have lots of different opinions represented. And so I think that people often refer to their constituencies and politics as being inside of the tent. So would people? Everyone would get along within the tent. There might like it. it everyone would still be part of the same thing in the tent. Would there be arguments or? Or, uh... Yeah, I think I think that that's 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 what's valuable about the metaphor is that uh, you have people who are doing wildly different skating from each other and have wildly different opinions on what should happen and what's good about it, and it's 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 a it's a real and 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 fully realized uh, uh, culture now, and there's plenty of room for everybody, 
and I think that that's wonderful. So we probably don't have enough time to get into. So it's you say it's rhetoric is the right way of saying it. I say I say rhetoric, and, and with an American accent, I say it almost as if it's spelled with D's. Um, the British say rhetoric, and and put the heavy the heavy uh, uh, T in there. But um, yeah, I would say rhetoric. So we got into that a little bit, but not as much as we could. Yeah. Um, academics we got into. Is there? <sighs> Of your of your blogs, so there was there was an amazing one about um, <laughs> the, the actual law for for handrail, like uh, oh oh uh, the the uh, Americans with Disabilities Act. Yeah, that was incredible. So that's kind of related to how we were talking about that. You know, humans adapt to we adapt to how the skates were built. So. Um, do you want to talk just a tiny bit about how that idea came about? Was that something that you had thought about when you started skating? Um, Why handrails well, are there? Well, the, 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 the first thing, if, if I could just for a second, the first thing that I would want to say about that is that um, I'm, I'm really, really grateful to Justin, uh, to Justin Isinger over at One for, for kind of being being for being really open minded and and taking taking a chance on a blog idea that was really really strange and uh covering topics like that which are are pretty far from the fold i think um i i i really i i have a huge amount of respect for him and a huge amount of appreciation uh for for him taking taking the chance on it um but as far as as far as that that particular post is concerned um, I've wondered for a really long time how how rails came to be so standardized and what what's required and and why they kind of why they seem to spring up around the same time that rollerblading sprang up and I think in a way that it's a it's a kind of a uh, a symbiotic relationship that I don't know that rollerblading would have happened if the ADA hadn't happened so it was really it was really just just uh, Having having a having the uh, the forum to write about it in the first place and 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 b uh, it was just a long question and it didn't take that long to look into it before I realized oh yeah duh it was the ADA, ADA and that's maybe a third of why rollerblading exists. Yeah, it was incredible to read that because um, I've only read it the one time, but it's something that hadn't been. It seemed so obvious that someone may have investigated it but no one had well yeah to and, to go back to go back to to rhetoric real fast that's that's one of the things that as as a as a trained rhetorician you you tend to look for what's what's the what's the system that's governing uh some particular situation and lots of times you can just just take a cursory glance back you know kind of zoom out and look at the bigger picture um, and and when you do, often the answer is right in front of you. The it, the the expression you know you, you can't see the forest for the trees comes to mind. <laughs> and and uh, the next the other one that um comes how many of the second place were there for the first season? Um, for um, people who don't know, I want to say about ten. Um, the second one that comes to mind 
was um was it power structure in skating? Uh, pa power. It was something about power that really. Oh, I did. I did a, a three part. A three okay, part that's right. On, that's right. on power, um, and it covered. Oh, I can't remember now. I covered pastoral power, symbolic power, and um, no, something else. I can't remember. But it's probably some of the most in-depth stuff that you could possibly read on rollerblading that's been written to date. Like that. That um, people. I I, I appreciate that. Um, it's just it's 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 a very different perspective, and I think that unfortunately, I think that there's a very small audience for it. But on the other hand, um, there's a number of people who seem to be really digging it, and so I'm 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 pleased with that. I'm definitely pleased with that. Well, if you wanted to relate it to um, someone stumbling across uh, a Killer Boots Chris Haffey section, um, it it relates to that. That over time, it's there. Someone's going to recommend it to someone. Um, someone will listen to this podcast, or it's it's important because can you think of anyone off the top of your head um, that's written in your kind of style or, or um, that's investigated rollerblading on that on that level? Just off the top of your head, any articles from old boxes or daily breads? Anything? Um, well. To, to be honest, no, and 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 I, I kind of I kind of got interested in doing it in the first place because um, uh, because it hadn't been done, and I think that there are a number of people who are frustrated with the same kind of articles that get written all the time, and I think I I, I don't I wouldn't want to say that that I'm the first person to write in depth about something because that would be totally unfair and it would be totally wrong. Yeah. Um, but what what I try really hard to do is is bring really big hard academic uh, and intellectual ideas uh, to, to rollerblading because I think that they're really important ideas and it helps us understand ourselves and I try as hard as I can to make them accessible but some of these ideas are, are really really complicated and if you boil things down uh, you know too much uh, you, you lose it and you just start talking in these really general abstractions that are pretty pretty worthless in my opinion so there's a certain amount of there's a certain amount of um, of difficulty that that people are going to have to you know slog through, but um, I, I would I would say to people that that I I really try hard to to make it as accessible as possible and as entertaining as possible. Um, I recognize that I fail constantly, but that's that's the aim anyway. Um, I don't think well fail you know it's. I don't think so. you mean you fail with the stuff that you put out. Well, I fail. I fail at making making some of these things accessible to a to a large audience. Oh, um, you no! Know, it's 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 not really easy to talk to seventeen year old rollerbladers about Pierre Bourdieu and 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 power theory. <laughs> but that's what makes it fun and exciting. Because I mean, if you were to just lace it, if it was just magically accessible, your first three uh, second place articles. Then you you may have been like oh well, I guess I did my job and you would figure out a formula and stick to it, but who knows? Well, Maybe my not. my my background, um, my my kind of academic credentials are in two areas, and one area is rhetoric, and the other area that I'm credentialed in is uh, cognitive linguistics. And it was really, I really for a very long time, all the way through college, I had a 
a kind of a, a fight club rule with myself that I wouldn't write anything in college ever about rollerblading ever, you know, kind of first rule of writing in college is don't write about rollerblading. <laughs> Second rule is don't ever write about rollerblading. <laughs> and, um, I, I ran across, I ran across something when I was studying in, uh, in Wales, um, a couple of years ago that this, this scholar had written an article saying that, um, Prepositions in English never, ever, ever, ever specify what they call the shape of a geon, and that just that basically just means the the shape of the thing that the preposition is referring to. So you could say that the squirrel walked through the field. The word "through" is a preposition, and it doesn't give you ever any information about um, the shape of the field. It doesn't tell you if it's a square field or a round field or anything. And these these academics were saying that no prepositions ever do and there's a way of construing topside and farside as prepositions and the first article that I was really keen to write was that that article about that about farside and topside um, because those two words can be construed as prepositions and back in the day they did specify uh, the shape of the geon which was the shape of the rail as being either square or round and you knew so by hearing farside or hearing topside and I, 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 for the first time, had to break my cardinal rule and say, no, no, writing a paper on rollerblading. Fuck you. <laughs> Fuck you. I don't care. Because these guys were trying to say that it doesn't happen. And I said, you know, look, we were a bunch of fucking know-nothing 17-year-olds, and we invented this shit because uh, we needed language to work for us in a certain way, and we made it work. Have and we... So, and uh, Okay, go ahead. Like telling that it didn't last, because uh, the theory, in a, in, in a way, might still hold, because... Uh, it's it's failed and nobody says far side anymore. Cause that's what I was gonna say. We've lost it. Yeah. We've lost it. And yeah, it's I think go ahead. It well no, it's really important that if you're at a wide ledge with shotgun coping on either side, the descriptions of ways you could hit that can go many different ways and we've lost that. Hit more people like if I jumped over a wide ledge at a skate park that had coping on the other side. We, a lot of people would say he jumped, he gapped over the ledge, to Seoul. I yeah, don't know. I, th I think a number of people would still, they still reserve that for far side, but um, <laughs> uh, it, it isn't. Back back in the day, it was you know, if you said you did a far side Seoul, that meant that it, it was uh, on a round rail. And if you did a topside, it was on a square rail. And yeah. I, I understand that not everybody used it that way, but a lot of us did. And as far as a, as far as a, a breakthrough uh, case study for, for linguistics, it's, it's there. And you don't need, you don't need total uniformity across a, a discourse community to, to, to have it exist. If, if, as long as a, a sufficient group of people is using it that way and can understand it that way, uh, that's, that's good enough. And um, I can't remember in this article. Did you touch upon dark side? Yeah. Well, I think I think I did. I did something shady, and I was I was pretty. That was a pretty long article, and I, I remember thinking I'd really like to tackle this, but uh, uh, I, I I've already I've already had people reading for five or six thousand words, and so I think I probably need to let people go. You know, back to their lives, and and I think I, I might have done something worse, which was to to promise that I would come back to it, and I haven't yet. So maybe I should take this as a reminder to get back and go write that article. And so you didn't touch on Darkseid? You, or you may have just briefly? 
I, yeah, I may have I may have said a couple of things, but I didn't I didn't you know treat it thoroughly in any depth. Because um, that one's that's where it gets even a little bit more complex. But you do see people exploring dark side. Or wait, let me think. When was the last time you saw something dark side? Oh, we all the time. We I have a, I have this box that we skate. People do dark side shit all over the place. Oh yeah, and you're right. say so. And what? And say so. Oh, dude, did you see that fucking you know dark side soul? That was sick. <laughs> and okay, uh, dark side. It's top side, right? I take it to imply top side already, but okay. um, it gets messy. Um, and that, that's that's one of the things. A couple of people have approached me and saying, you know, rollerblading language is so fucked up. We finally have a linguist. Why don't you just fucking tell everybody what it is? And <laughs> I I really I really reject that because it's 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 not my language and and it's not it's not that I have authority or power to enforce what's right and wrong. It's it's the it's the discourse of an entire community, and the community is is who's charged with uh, maintaining it and and enforcing what what it wants. So I'm I'm never gonna prescribe anything ever, and I I I I, I will say that here, once and and for all. Uh, just before we go, and this uh, obviously this could have gone on for so long because we didn't really get through much, but it felt like we got through some awesome stuff. Do you remember the issue of Daily Bread or issues where they tried to? Uh, rename tricks or come up with a, a standardized oh. set of trick names where they started bringing in alley-oop and um, every yeah. description on every page was different. What is it about rollerblading that there's just things that don't stick? Like, um, that never really stuck. And that was the voice of rollerblading at the time. So anyways, do you have any thoughts on that? Um, yeah, the reason the reason that um, that things don't stick is because in in linguistics, what's called motivation, um, the motivation is really poor in cases where it doesn't stick. Motivation, um, which if you're if you're listening to this or if you've seen, there's a there's an article in in uh, the One Magazine number twenty, where second place got a a print a print uh, episode, and. I would, I would again thank uh, Justin for that because he was very gracious in extending me that offer to uh, get second place in print. Um, but there's there's an article about what motivation means in linguistics in that in that issue, and what what you have is when things stick, uh, there's there's a reason for it, and it makes sense at the time, and often it gets forgotten uh, over over long periods of time, and we don't know why something was once motivated uh, but because it has stuck we know that it once was if that makes any sense yeah that does okay so for instance uh, in, in that in that uh, in that article uh, I mentioned the unity grind the unity has has stuck around since very early in skating and we still say frontside and backside unity even though the alley iterations of it have been uh, changed largely to the savannah um, but if you if you think back, if you can recall, it was named that because it looks like the lotus position in in a uh, uh, Buddhist tradition in the Buddhist tradition. Yeah, and it, you know it, the, you sit sort of Indian style or or with your legs crossed, uh, with your hands out, and that's how people did it, and it made sense at the time, and it's it's stuck because it had that strong motivation. 
And you don't need to know that 20 years later, um, but we can say as, as linguists that the word stuck because it had such good motivation. Holy shit. You're making me think of a bunch of things that I don't really think about normally. Um, so, off the top of your head, is there a source online that has <laughs> historical descriptions of where the tricks came from? Oh, tricks? Oh, man. Um, I've, I've mentioned a couple of things in, in second place, but uh, I don't know of a catalog off the top of my head. Um, I'm, 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 I'm tempted to do it myself, and I've, I've made lots of phone calls and sent lots of emails um, to try to catalog some of this stuff before it gets too far, um, too far in the past where you know you want to write, I want to write an article about the porn star, and I need to get a hold of Phil Riley. You know, God, I don't know where the fuck Phil Riley's at these days. Oh, don't even bring up his name so late in the podcast because he's someone who's been a big influence on everything I do without me right. realizing it until I got older. But anyways, um, so you've thought about this. I've thought about doing it, and I've, I've, I'm tempted to, uh, to try to maybe take a couple every season of second place and try to do an etymology for each one. Um, uh, it's... That that would certainly be the community service side of of, of second place, uh, though it could also it could also be useful because I might actually try to publish some academic articles about this stuff at some point in the future. Fantastic! Holy shit, Frank! I think my mind was like it was lightly blown over this podcast. Um, grind plates, origins of trick names, the beginnings of handrails, obviously, which I read in your pieces. So customizable hardness of cuffs haven't thought of that in a long time um you'll have to be on again i think yeah i'd I'd, I'd be happy to amazing um now that i know that i haven't made a total fool and jackass out of my stuff i might i might drink beer with you next time definitely and we'll get todd on i'm sure too he's he's in daddy mode right now so um yeah i just saw that Tell tell him congratulations that's badass Absolutely. Um, anything else you want to add before we hang up here? Um, I, I would, I, I just, you know, regular, regular shout-outs. You know, all my guys in Austin, um, Justin at one, all my buddies from, you know, back in the day. Um, I appreciate appreciate you uh, inviting me on here, and um, I would, I would, I guess, I guess the last thing that I would do would be to shill for. For second place, and say that uh, if you if you read the the any article and you and you have any thought about it, please please pretty please with sugar on top, uh, comment and say something, and and I will uh, I will promise to to treat it thoughtfully. Perfect. Excellent. Um, thank you, Frank, and have a good night marking papers. Hopefully, I didn't take too much of your time. No, I'm in good shape. Okay, Total cool. Good. Enjoy the rest of your night, and we'll talk again soon. Okay, thanks. Have a good night, man. You too. Bye. Bye.